0: God's creation is a finely tuned thing, isn't it? It was then in the days of Adam and Eve, and it's still a fine-tuned kind of a thing. What I mean is that everything had its purpose, everything had its place in that great symphony of life there in the beginning. And in his finely tuned world, in that finely tuned creation, God joined together form and function. They were joined together perfectly, right? To put it in symphony terms, God didn't create a trumpet and say, sound like a flute. He didn't create a whale and tell it to creep around in the ground. No, everything was made for its purpose. God made the things that creep and crawl down in the ground very finely. We don't like to think about that too much, right? That's the point in the nature documentary where you flip the channel And you come back when you get to the lions and the tigers and the bears. But God made everything, even the ants, according to his purpose. From the smallest of things to the sun and moon and stars wheeling overhead, keeping times and festival seasons, everything was finely tuned, wasn't it? It was all, as he himself judged it, good. In fact, very good. And what it was very good for was life. Adam, too, was finely tuned, right? I don't think the Lord God slapped him together like a kindergartner with Plato. God formed that man of dust finely, intricately, perfectly for his purpose, for his task. And you heard that task that the Lord gave to Adam and Eve. Here's why God endowed Adam with reason, with intellect, with righteousness, with holiness, with everything that he needed. He put the man in the garden to work and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. That's what Adam was tuned for, right? He was the trumpet there who was to sound that perfect note. To be the worker of the garden, the servant of the garden is another way to, keep, to translate it, and to be the garden's keeper. And I want to emphasize that little word for you this morning. Adam was the guardian. That's a good way to translate the word too. Adam was the garden guardian. And in Adam's calling in Eden, I want you to see, I want you to see whether you are a man or a woman, for we all are humans, I want you to see the calling that the Lord God has for you. Adam was to serve in the garden and he was to guard that garden. But that means that first, he had to care about it, right? How many of you serve something you don't care for? And which of us would guard? Well, we might do it, but we'd do a poor job. We might guard something we don't care about, but we don't do it very well. Just this morning, right as the bell was ringing, there was a police car right on the corner of the street here. And if you imagine a policeman who doesn't care about the people who he's serving, well, you're imagining a bad policeman. Adam had to care, and the more he cared, the more he loved what the Lord God had put him over, the better he would do as the servant and as the guardian. That's what Adam was created to do, and it is what the Lord God calls you to do. We'll come back to that in the end, but first consider how Adam failed. Because if you know the rest of the story, you know that that finely tuned creation fell way out of tune. You know how Adam did not serve, how he did not guard and keep that garden sanctuary. You know how the devil came and whispered his lies to the woman and the whole time Adam was right there beside the woman. Didn't he care? Didn't he care that this serpent was whispering deceit his wife? Didn't he care that he was the one who had been set as the servant of the garden, who had been set up to guard and to keep the woman and the garden and everything else? Apparently not, right? We're not taken into the mind of Adam. We don't know what was going through his mind. All we know is that he was right there. What does scripture say? When the woman took of the tree to eat, she gave it to her husband who was with her. I want to suggest to you this morning that Adam's first failure was a failure to care. It was a failure to love that which the Lord God had given to him. It was a failure to give thanks for everything that God had given him. And so instead of guarding it and keeping it as a treasure, which is the way he ought to have, Adam looked at it all as kind of an experiment. Huh, what will happen? What do you think will happen if she eats from the tree? I know I could intervene. I know I could step in. I know I could slap the apple out of her hand. I know I could drive this serpent out of the garden, but what might happen? Adam was the first experimenter. He was meant to be a guard, right? He was meant to be a keeper, but instead of guarding and keeping what was entrusted to him, Adam supposed that things might get better if he conducted a little experiment. Will she really die? What might happen if we eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Maybe maybe we can improve on the condition of things. Maybe we can take this garden and we can take this river that flows out and waters the whole earth and maybe we can make it better. See the mind of the scientist? Now, I should quickly say, experiments aren't always bad, are they? Experiments and the whole scientific process, having a hypothesis, testing your hypothesis, oh man, I feel like I'm back in seventh grade, right? Those things are not in and of themselves bad. But when you experiment with what you have been entrusted to guard, that's when things go awry. And that was Adam's failure there in the garden. Adam took God's good creation that was so finely tuned, and instead of guarding it and keeping it in tune, he put it all out of whack. It was a failure of guarding. But the Lord God didn't give up on his world did he you know as you know the rest of the story of scripture how the Lord came back to his people how the Lord took what had fallen out of tune and he started retuning it right when Jesus came he put it all into perfect order again but God didn't jump straight to the end no first the Lord God created for himself a new garden course, it was a very different-looking kind of a garden. It was the kind of garden that looks like a tent, that looks like a temple. You know how the Lord set up in Israel his house, his dwelling place, where he could commune with his people. And guess what? There was a guardian there. In the tabernacle, in the tent, it was the job, it was the special privilege and duty of the sons of Levi. The Levites were to be the servants and the guardians of God's house. First, though, They had to care, right? Remember, if you forget everything else this morning, before you can guard something, you have to first love it. And the sons of Levi proved their love. You may remember this story, but in case you forgot, I'll remind you. When the Lord brought his people out of Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai, Moses went up into the cloud, right, at the top of the mountain. He disappeared. And for 40 days, nobody saw or heard anything about Moses. And so, down at the base of the mountain, the people had an idea. You know what? We don't know what happened to Moses. Maybe we can make our own idol. We can make our own God that we can always see. We won't have to trust this Lord who dwells in the darkness. And so they made a golden calf and they began worshiping it. But the sons of Levi, when Moses came down the mountain, Moses said, whoever is for the Lord, rally to me. And it was the sons of Levi who came to Moses' aid and stopped that idolatry. And so they were entrusted as the guardians because they proved their love for the Lord. They were to be the guardians of God's house. They were its doorkeepers. They were its overseers. And strangely enough, they were the choir. The Levites were to guard and to keep the temple, the tabernacle, and they were to do it all, whistling while they worked, right? After all, being a servant isn't always the most fun kind of a task. Being a guardian, just ask a police officer, is not always the most enjoyable and rewarding work. And so they were entrusted also with the task of singing praises while they guarded, singing praises while they kept. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the purpose of that was so that they would not lose their love. After all, you can't guard what you don't love. And yet we know, don't we, that the tabernacle, the temple, as good as it was, fell into the same kind of discordant symphony that Adam and Eve plunged the garden into. And so it took something more than the Levites. It took someone greater than them. And so God, in the fullness of time, sent his son Jesus to be the second Adam. And just as he had entrusted Adam with the task of serving and keeping the garden, so also we see in Jesus this wonderful picture of God's guardianship. You heard him put it this way in the gospel reading today. He looked out over those who he had charge of, who he was the servant of, and he said, I don't care about these people. What are they to me? You know, they came out to listen to me teach, and they were with me for three days, but they didn't pack their lunch, and so it's not really my job, is it? It's not my burden. It's not my responsibility. I don't care what they have to do. It's not up to me. That's not at all what Jesus said, is it? In Jesus, we see this perfect picture of guardianship. In Jesus, we see the servant of the Lord that Adam was supposed to be. In Jesus, we see the guardian of the garden, The guardian of the whole world, indeed, who looks on those who have nothing and says, I have compassion on them. See, before you can guard anything, you have to treasure it. And what is it that our Lord Jesus treasures? He treasures you and he treasures me. He treasures God's whole creation, and you are the pinnacle of that creation. So when Jesus looks on them, he doesn't say, Hey, you know what, guys, you planned pretty poorly you should have thought this through. Go and figure it out for yourself. No, he says, I am my brother's keeper. I am my brother's guardian. I will take care of these people because if I don't, if I send them home, they're going to faint on the way and that is not what I have come to bring about. What we see a picture of in the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus' guardianship over those, we see even greater in his cross. We see when Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane on that night when he will be betrayed, we see the full guardianship of Jesus. Just what Adam was supposed to do, Jesus fulfills. Remember when, the, when Judas brought those uh, Romans and those Jews to arrest Jesus. Remember how he stood up and he said to them, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, here I am, take me and let these go. See how Jesus guarded his disciples? He guarded that great crowd there by feeding them. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he guarded his own disciples at the cost of his life. That's what the cross of Jesus shows us too, isn't it? It shows us the servant of the Lord who lays down his life for his people. It shows us the full guardianship of Jesus who doesn't say, you know what, you got yourself into this mess, you get yourself out of it. You sinned your way into this deathly existence, you get yourself out of it. No, Jesus says, I am my brother's keeper. And you can see that writ large on the cross. He puts his life in your place. He puts his blood for you. He takes your death as his own because he is the guardian of God. And so when he is raised up in the Garden of Eden, what did Mary Magdalene see? I thought you were the gardener. She was right, you know. He was the gardener. He was the one who Adam was always meant to be. He was the servant of the Lord and the guardian of the garden of God. And so Jesus still to this day, even in his resurrection, is still your keeper. He is still your servant who looks on you and doesn't say, you know what, figure out your own problems. You know what? You got yourself into this mess. You get yourself out of it. You know what? You should have planned a whole lot better. Why didn't you bring more food? Why didn't you plan this? Why didn't you plan that? No, Jesus loves you, and so he guards you and keeps you. And you have been called into that same guardian duty. Jesus is not happy to be alone. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone there in the garden, and it's not good for Jesus to be alone either. He wants to share this wonderful calling with you. It's a hard calling. It's a hard burden, but it is a blessed burden as well. What we saw in the garden with Adam, set there to serve and to keep, you have been called to. You are not called to some other thing. You are not called to some different purpose. You aren't some different kind of creature than Adam was. You are called to serve and to guard. And what does that start with? It starts with caring. It starts with caring and with loving and giving thanks for what God has given to you. He didn't plant you in the Garden of Eden. He planted you in Paducah. He didn't plant you there where the rivers divided and went out to the four corners of the earth, where there was gold in the hills of Havilah. He planted you here. He planted you in your family here. He planted you in this congregation. And you are to serve and to guard where he has put you. And what that starts with is caring. Caring for the things that God has put you over, not wishing that you had something else, not wishing that you were surrounded with different circumstances and different things, but looking at what God has given to each and every one of you and saying, this is my Eden, this is my garden, this is what the Lord God has given me to love and to serve and to keep. But what are you to guard in this life? Well, it starts by guarding the word of Jesus that he has given you. When Jesus sent his apostles out into the world, you know these words, right? The Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to observe, to guard, to keep everything I have commanded you. Love the word of Jesus. Love his commands. Don't experiment with his commands. Don't conduct some kind of investigation. What will happen if I break God's commandments? That's what happened to the first gardener. That's where Adam failed as, his, as the keeper. You have been entrusted with the words of Jesus, with his commandments, with his law, with his promise. You are to love his words, to treasure them up in your heart as the most precious thing you could ever have, and to guard and keep them. You are also entrusted with all kinds of people, right? Cain said about his brother Abel, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. But ever since Cain murdered Abel, we have all been tempted to think just like Cain. You know what? All these people here in this place, they've got their own lives to worry about. They've got to take care of themselves. I think this is especially prevalent for us in the 21st century, isn't it? We suppose that we are closed off, that we are on our own, that everybody else wants to be on their own. I have my own private life, right? I don't want anyone intruding on it. But God has put you in this congregation to be a keeper, a guardian, not just of your own soul, but to be a guardian of those who are around you. And what that starts with is caring about them. We cannot be strangers to each other. We cannot be simply ships passing in the night, people who come and who go but have no real knowledge of one another. We must be each other's keeper. The guardians who can look over one another and say, hey, look out, there's a serpent over there. There's a serpent over here. There's a command given by us from God that we must keep. It starts by caring about the word of Jesus and about the brothers and sisters who Jesus has put you around. We are not called to be the gardeners of Eden. But we are all called to be little Levites in this place. To be guardians and keepers of this place house. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked, right? You are little Levites of this congregation. You are the keepers of this place to watch over the word and the teaching and to care for one another. And here's the other wonderful thing that the Lord has given to us. He's given us a song to sing. Just like the Levites were the choir in the tabernacle, you also are to whistle while you work. You are to sing the song of the Lord, his praises in the morning and in the evening. You are to sing the songs of the faith, the great hymns that have been passed down to us and the wonderful songs that the Lord works new in your heart. So whistle while you work because if you don't, you know what's gonna happen to you, don't you? You're gonna become one of those jaded police officers You are going to become one of those unthankful guardians. And those are not the kind of guardians that our Lord wants to have. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.